Hello, Will. Welcome back to another episode of M-Light. Love it. Excited for this one. It's one that I've been thinking about since the early days of our podcast that, you know, as a, as a Chinese Canadian, I really wanted to have an episode for the roots, for the people. So this putting is this off um, for too long, honestly. But we've been waiting for too long. My name is Will Tao. I'm an immigration refugee lawyer here in Burnaby, British Columbia. And I'm speaking from, uh, to you today from the traditional unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Kaikat nations where our offices and homes are. My name is Lou Dang and I'm an immigration lawyer based in Toronto, but today I am still currently in California, where I am in the traditional territories of the many peoples, the Mawekma, Mawak, and Yokuts in the San Joaquin Valley, just outside the Bay Area in San Francisco. How I wish I was in the Bay right now. Uh, I love the Bay. I don't know if it's, we have it's, conversation, but I don't know if uh, stuff, but... You see, I, I'm not even sure if you want to be with the haze currently, unfortunately, right. just like British Columbia, California is dealing with a lot of uh, climate crisis related wildfires, unfortunately. But without further ado, Will, I'm excited about today's episode for a few reasons, because as I said, we've been putting this off for too long. We need to do this. Yeah, we need to talk China. We need to talk to the Chinese diaspora. And we need to talk to someone who is themselves, you know, in the process of immigrating to Canada, but also a journalist, a podcaster, mm. a University of King's College journalism graduate. And, you know, with recently with the Chinese immigration numbers in Canada declining amid frosty relationships between our two countries, it's really, really important to separate the government from its people and try to better understand the nuances, complexities, and most importantly, the varied stories of this very large and expansive diaspora. So without further ado, I want to welcome someone I've been in communication with for a couple of years now virtually, and I'm excited to really meet and get to know for the first time, Lu Xu. I think her Chinese name is Xu Meng Lu. Uh, my Chinese is a little bit choppy, but welcome Lu Xu. Lu, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Inlight Podcast. We're so grateful to have you here. Thank you for the invite. I'm really excited to talk more. So Lou, as I was saying in the introduction, you and, and, and today we have two Lou's, so I'll be careful. LJ is going to be Lou Jackson and you'll right. be um, <laughs> So I, I want to talk to you about your journey. I know in the intro, I, I introduced you as a podcaster and I, I know, you know, podcasting in, in, in our community is still, I would say, relatively new and it's, it's, a, it's a really brave uh, job, I would say. Can you discuss your journey? Uh, how did you get to becoming a podcaster and maybe where the journey started? in your life yeah for sure so oh my god where do I start I came to Halifax about five years ago um and I took journalism obviously um that's when I first like you know started to be a little bit outspoken about my beliefs and you know sort of being being a, you know someone who's like telling stories um but I really never thought about starting my own podcast until very recently I think I just got more comfortable being where I am right now and just like I love audio and this like there's so much you can do with it and yeah so it just all came very naturally to me in the end but it was quite a journey for sure. Luke can you talk to me about the the, the first decision to come to the, to the Maritimes and to Halifax, um, you know, where, where were you located when you first found out about maybe even this possible pathway for your career? That's a really good question. I was in Melbourne 
in Australia. I was actually doing a completely irrelevant program. I just, but I have always wanted to be a journalist, and of course, that was never going to be possible, or like I was never going to be safe and practice journalism the way I wanted to when I was in mainland China. That's where I I grew up, and you know that's where I um, I was you know a teenager, and and I wanted I went to college and stuff, and I was in Melbourne, and I finally felt to the you know I I registered for Facebook for the first time. And life, I felt like my adulthood just began, and I was doing a completely different program than in Melbourne. And but I just felt like I wanted to pursue journalism. I really loved the idea of you know telling stories and justice and all that. And I just met this person who did the exact same program that I did, and she's also Chinese. And we just started talking, and you know about the program, about everybody. And I said, you know. I'm gonna apply. So I applied for the program. I had an interview with the,、um, I think Kelly Tohill, and she was she was the department director or something. And and we had a really nice chat. And she just said yes on the spot. And and like literally in a few weeks, I was in a plane <laughs> to Halifax. I knew nobody, absolutely nobody, when I first、um, came to Halifax. And it was twelve o'clock. I didn't even arrange a pickup. You know how you hail a taxi, like in China,、mm-hmm. um, and apparently in Halifax you can't do that. You don't hail a taxi. You have to call them. I, I did not know that. So it was the airport of completely freaking out. It was like, am I gonna like get lost the first day here? But luckily, I met somebody on the plane, and she said, you know, I have like somebody who's gonna pick me up. Do you want to ride? And I was like, absolutely. So yeah, so it was. It was something that I always wanted to do, but really never had the chance or the opportunity. Like you know, I've never met somebody. So when I was in Melbourne, I met this person. So that's how I came here. That's、wow. a long answer. That's a long answer. It's a wonderful one because I think one of the misconceptions right off the bat is individuals don't quite understand how many of us get to Canada as a destination, right? And and and. Stories like Lou, where first of all goes to another country first, goes to Australia, but even just you know the act of leaving it, it it's not just the the story of a a wealthy sort of you know someone who's holding a lot of money and 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 the parent just being like kid go to Canada for better opportunity. It's a little more complicated than that, right? Totally. I I this reminds me of my one of my Facebook posts. It's. I was reading this book. Obviously, you know this: the Crazy Rich Asians.、Mm-hmm. It was so phenomenal. Everybody loved it, and it was ironic because I'm not crazy rich and I'm Asian. And I was reading that book, and I think it's a great book and it's a great story. But it doesn't really tell. You know, there are a lot of stories that are not being told right now.、Um, there's definitely that stereotype of like, you know, all the all the Asian immigrants or people like like us would be like. Yeah, there's definitely a stereotype of that. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to you about some of these these Chinese stories for sure. Stories of our of, of Europe bringing in, and of course, some of my time in China. But let's talk about Polestar actually. And, and LJ, I don't know if you knew this, but、uh, Lou helped launch Polestar Immigration, which really was the the gate. I would say the opener to this conversation about even African refusal rates and all of the policy、right. issues. And of course, Kelly, who's a friend of mine as well. Well, so, first of yeah, all, that's news that. to me. That's amazing. Big fan of Polestar, <laughs> the, the work that、yeah. you do over there.、Um, so, yeah, go ahead, Will. You were talking about、um, the refusal rates. 
Well, I was just saying that, yeah, for uh, Polestar Immigration really opened up the conversation on, on policy and I started doing a little writing for them as well. So maybe Lou, talk to, talk to me a bit about how you started the advocacy for international students and where that came from, uh, being an international student yourself at that time. Yeah, so, so that's a really interesting topic because I think international students are really vulnerable um, especially in a small town like Halifax, like in Toronto or Vancouver, there's a history of, of, of international students coming to the city. There's a history of, you know, immigrants just in general from not just from China, but from all over the world. Whereas in Halifax, it's relatively small and it definitely has that small town mentality where, you know, everything is kind of quieter. It goes under the radar. And when that happens, I think in a system, especially, you know, uh, communities like international students or just simply sometimes new immigrants, they are the ones who got hit the, the hardest. So, and me being in that community, I saw a lot of things going on that it just wasn't addressed, um, especially with immigration, because it can be really daunting, like the process can be really hard. And starting a new life here in Halifax can, can also be hard. And there's also this misconception, you know, you get asked really weird questions if you go to a... Um, go to a grocery store or like go get a coffee. So I think it just kind of all started. And earlier, you know, when I, when I was still at school, a lot of the reporting I did was about international students. So they would get targeted f for just being an international student. They would get charged more, three times more than their Canadian friends. And, and it's just, yeah, it just came all naturally to me. And I think you know, it's unjust. Um, so yeah, that was quite a journey. And Polestar obviously kind of did a fantastic job sort of re revealing a lot of issues there. Um, and I felt really, you know, I, I like her as, as a person, as a prof. So it was great working, working for her. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, as a journalist, Lou, I'm, I'm wondering, did you know of the Maritimes before you came to Canada? Yes, but I, I did not know Halifax. I actually Googled, I, I think I searched Halifax on YouTube or Nova Scotia on YouTube. And, and apparently it means New, New Scotland or whatever. I think that's, that's, that's right. what I found. And it has a lot of bars. That's really all the things I, I, I knew before I came here. Yeah. <laughs> did you, okay. And again, this is another question that I, I probably need to get my story behind to, to, to the Maritime sooner. The one part of Canada that I haven't spent much time in at all. But how is the, uh, how is the Chinese food situation and like the, is, is the grocery situation? Like, are you able to still enjoy your usual... I might just move to Toronto for the, for the food. Not gonna really? lie. <laughs> just... I see. I, I think we get most of our Chinese groceries, like the grocery store, the Asian grocery stores, they get most of their grocery from Toronto. So you pay more. It's like- I see. It's always cheaper in Toronto. If uh, you, you know, if you, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, it's just like, if you buy like a hot pot stuff, it's always like expensive, more expensive than Toronto. I've heard this a lot in Toronto. So a lot of it is uh, a lot of it is shipped, I imagine, from you know bigger cities in Canada to Halifax. So yeah. logistically, it would uh, they would add the cost to that. And mind you, Toronto is not as let's say uh, it's actually quite expensive in terms of you know um, 
your Asian supermarkets compared to what you would have, say, out in Vancouver or even in um, the U.S. It's, uh, you know, and then Toronto is a big city. So I, can, I can't even begin to imagine how expensive it would be in Halifax. So just like Will, um, I will confess, that's a part of Canada that I need to know more. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I hope in the future, because Halifax is growing, I hope that the situation could change because I, really, I would really like some cheap hot pot groceries yeah, yeah. I remember even just as a minor story here like when I moved to Ottawa again Ottawa is not like any different than you know other cities and you know there's a big TNT and you know down mm-hmm. here here you can go to but it's just interesting how it affects like even some of the dishes you eat like here you in Vancouver because we're so proximal to seafood you're eating a lot of fish you're eating a lot of crab mm-hmm. you're like doing a lot of hot pot and then they're like you know, it was more like potatoes and stuff. So I'd eat, I'd start eating a lot of like toodles and stuff, which is like a, like a chopped chop potato dish. And I'm sure like that, that's big in times <laughs> too. It's the hardest dish to cook. It is. Oh. Trying to get the actually, potatoes thin. Yeah, people always get fooled by how simple it looks. It's actually really hard to cook. Huh. One of our, one of my favorite dishes still though. But have you had it before, Okay. I, th- I oh, believe yeah, I have, yeah. yeah. In Toronto, it's a staple. But I didn't realize that there's a lot of work that comes with it. Yeah, <laughs> as, as Lou yeah. properly described it, it's hard, but it it's deceptive. You'd think it's simple. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, interesting story, though, uh, Lou, that you, you mentioned that you had this experience of, of going to the Maritimes and just, like, not knowing and, and, and searching it up. I, I had a similar story when I went to China as an international student. I ended up in Chongqing because I had no clue where Tongqing was, you know, in China. And I just like Googled it and I realized what there's 30 something million in the municipality. And I like had this whole like Hunger Games, like impression of like all the different municipalities and worlds. And then just going there and immersing yourself. But I mean, coming to Halifax, what would you say was the greatest? Would I want to, I mean, culture shocks, it's an interesting word, but what what do you think was the most surprising thing of Halifax to you? Oh my God, it's been five years. Um, so Halifax was actually my first city. Like I've never, it's not like I jumped from Toronto or Vancouver or anything like that. Halifax was the yeah. first, the only thing I knew about Canada. Um, and before that, I was living in Melbourne, which is like, I don't know if you know this, but Melbourne has the best coffee. Not the best coffee, but they have really, really good coffee. I know this, um, yes. So... As cheese as it sounds, coffee really surprised me, not in a good way. When I was in Halifax, I remember I was on this major road called Spring Garden Road and I had my first sip of Tim Hortons. Everybody I knew then was raving about like Tim Hortons and this is the Canadian version of Starbucks and everything, you know, it's really good, you have to try it. And I had my first sip and I literally just like froze on Spring Garden Road and I was like, oh my God, this is not so good. You're right about the coffee. Absolutely, Lou. I haven't been to Melbourne, but uh, I travel around Asia and they have Australian chains over in Jakarta and Manila and Singapore and their coffee is outstanding. So that must have been quite the shock transitioning from a proper (laughs) European style, short, thick espresso, a minimum of 20 PSI for bar pressure uh, to a double double. And no offense to, you know, <laughs> folks who love Tim Hortons, I would occasionally have my double double. But if mm. you're kind of coming from a, you know, sorry to put it this way, coffee snob city like Melbourne, that must have been quite the contrast. 
it was definitely something. I did not even know what double double um, means until like I got my first cup. Yeah. It's really interesting. Let's talk a bit about China before we get to the question of sort of Chinese immigrants. Like, I'm always curious because I, I, I see China from my window as someone who spent time largely as an outsider or tourist there, but as someone who grew up in, in China during a, a, a transitory period in, 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 in China, what are some of your childhood memories? And, and maybe tell me a bit about your, your hometown. Yeah, I, I grew up like, you know, I'm in my late 20s. So I grew up in China, had this Gaigo Kaifang. So they were already like opening up to the rest of the world. And I grew up in Jinan, so that's really kind of small, small but and big, like big for Halifax, but small in China, a city there. Growing up, it was like, you know, I grew up in the city, everything was sort of kind of kind of crammed together. Maybe not like Hong Kong crammed, but like still pretty crammed. Apartment buildings, condo buildings and all that. And I went to local schools. It was really competitive. That's one that I wanted to highlight, by the way, like it's just how my upbringing can be really different from a Canadian friend of mine. Like, you know, I grew up reading literally nationalism stuff like I, I, I was good at it, too. Like, I really was I thought that was what politics was all about. And I was a strong believer. So every single day I remember we were talking about, you know, how evil Japan is and the classic education it's really ingrained in my mind growing up I remember even when I was in elementary school we started this campaign to stop purchasing purchasing anything that's Japan produced so that part always I mean now looking back um, it didn't it doesn't feel right but at the time it was really something that I was fed every single day and I believed it I don't know if that's that's a little bit heavier than like what you asked like I think looking back that's really the only thing I remember it's just how I the you know I have to believe the party I have to believe that that's the only solution that's the only party that can rule and I remember having this debate with my friends and I was trying to convince her that you're wrong CCP is really the only only thing that can lead us and it's it's weird not to think about it. And, and and did that change while you were already in China, or did it take going like leaving China to go to Australia and then starting to like get access to some of the media and mm. and histories and, and 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 other things that maybe changed that for you? I think it really started changing after I went to college, because I studied, I mean, I studied in Chongqing, still in China, but I um, took English literature. So I really like started to learn the language. And we had as as a as a student there, we had access to like New York Times and like a lot of just foreign magazines, newspaper that a lot of my Chinese friends won't have or won't bother to read. And believe it or not, there are people who don't believe in CCP within China as well. Mm -hmm. So I think I was exposed to that a little bit and it's a gradual process, but I think it all kind of exploded after I went abroad and I, I, I went to Australia and my whole world really changed. And I was able to read a lot, 
learn a lot and just really overturn a lot of the beliefs I used to have. It was a painful realization. You basically need to realize that a lot of the things you have believed for years, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and actually, sorry to draw us back, but given we were both, you know, now it all makes sense when you talk about hot pot that, you know, you spent significant time in Songqing, which if anybody thinks they know hot pot, you have to really spend time in Songqing <laughs> to know hot pot. Where did you go to school in Songqing, may I ask? Yeah, so I went to CSU. Um, that's the Sichuan International Studies University. Oh, CSU, okay. Yeah, so they, they do like a lot of like, basically I think their major thing is like language and they have a, they have a lot of international students from all over the world. Mm-hmm. So you get to really see a lot of people that's not Chinese, that are not Chinese and, and you get mm-hmm. to talk to them. I think that changed me a little bit too. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, being in Chongqing, uh, I, I was there on exchange with the, with the University of Ottawa with several non-Chinese classmates. I think I was actually the only ethnic Chinese person among the, the exchange. I went to the Southwestern wow. University of Political Science and Law, so Supo. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. But, but yeah, no, Chongqing uh, is, I mean, actually, LJ, you're in San Francisco now. I, I think like that's my comparator is like it's the San Francisco of, of China, like very, very mountainous. The weather, everyone's like in good shape because you have to climb like crazy stairs and mountains to get anywhere. But <laughs> the hot pot is next level and you're going to probably uh, pass out from the heat <laughs> eventually. <laughs> so, Lou, you, you mentioned going to Australia and then ending up in, in Canada. Tell me about Australia. I think one of the things that gets a bit misunderstood, I mean, we have a lot of Canadians who end up going to Australia for like law school and medical school and different things. But the number of individuals around the world who, who go to Australia, mm-hmm. having navigated the Australian immigration portion of, you know, study student permits and stuff like that, what did, what did you see that was different or similar to the Canadian system? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I've been fascinated by how, and you're the expert here, obviously, but I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of similarities. And, and, and for a period of time, I almost felt like Canada is copying Australia because Australia, it's, it's harder to immigrate to Australia now, I think, um, than before. And just policy-wise, I feel like Canada is still like a little bit more immigration-friendly. Um, whereas in, in Australia, maybe the system is easy to navigate, but they don't really have such a great demand right now, at least not when I was there. So the immigration system there was like, you really need to f- fit a certain profile. So they were really looking for uh, certain occupations like accountants or, or early childhood teachers. And, and I mean, that happens in Canada too, obviously, but I just feel like there's a greater demand. It seems like there's a greater demand here in Canada than, than in Australia. And the Chinese students, the tension is stronger in Australia between the Chinese students and the local students and probably just local government in general. But yeah, I think that's mainly the, the biggest thing I noticed. Interesting. And transitioning now to Canada, like being a journalist, writing and studying the issues, but also having to live it yourself with the actual immigration process. Mm-hmm. How has that been like for you? Does it spur your writing? Does it, you know, does it make it more 
challenging knowing that you know you know more than probably the average international student does about the process given how much you went <laughs> to research and studying it i thought it would help you know i i've been reporting on immigration for for a while now um and i never really thought i would have like a lot of challenges i won't say like i won't have any challenge but like i still like you know it's still perplexing for me like I, I still get confused a lot of the times and I've even thought about maybe I should hire somebody um to do this for me because because it's just you don't know what you don't know and that's I think that's Kelly Kelly who said that about like a Canadian immigration it's like you really don't know what you don't know until you you're faced with the challenge and you realize you forgot something um or is this not what you think so yeah and that's why you know, um, the podcast that you're doing and like reporting on this is so important because I think there's a gap there. There's at least there's, I think there's a communication gap there between um, potential immigrants and 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 you know the the, the system, the government. And speak, speaking of conflicts and uh, misunderstanding, I want to know. Um, just thought you know, take a few steps back. What are the you know if you could identify three of them. What would be the three myths of newer Canadian, uh, sorry, newer Chinese immigrants to Canada that you would highlight? Ooh, I think the first one is still like, we came here with money. Some of us did, but a lot of us, you know, we came here as, as international students. We're probably not poor, I'm trying to find the right word, but we're definitely not crazy rich. I think that's the biggest misconception, you know, that people have. The second one is probably just how quiet we're supposed to be quiet and hardworking, the kind of very, very traditional view on Chinese students, immigrants and all that. And the truth is we are complicated too. We have very different background. My story might be completely different from someone who's also like from China and like we're complicated with different we might look similar to a lot of Canadians but we really are different from each other <laughs> so the third one is probably how we don't want to get involved I think a lot of the times you know we were invited to the party but we really you know, I feel like the people are not really trying to engage us, like, you know, trying to like strike up a conversation with us or um, really trying to make us feel like we're part of the team. Um, maybe that's because we're still, you know, I'm in Halifax, I've never experienced a life in Toronto. So I don't know what's, what it's like there or in a bigger city, but here I, I still feel like there's, there's a separation between the newer communities and like the local community here. And in, and in BC, in Vancouver, just to give you another context, we have the separation between even waves of immigrants, right? The new people from China versus those who came from the Hong Kong in the right. 80s to then those before that who came, you know, multiple generations. Mm. And sometimes I would say the narratives oftentimes, I mean, the ironic thing is like the same thing that the communities experienced like 50, 60 years ago, the racism from white folks is being reproduced to the next community by right. the community that experienced it, right? And that's a very common sort of theme. So, you know, don't let the door hit you on the way out, sort of. 
That was actually going to be my follow-up question. If that sort of uh, wave-related Im- uh, immigration, like in interwave, you know, dynamic existed in Halifax, but perhaps the uh, community is not as dense as Vancouver or BC mm-hmm. to have that kind of animosity. Yeah, it's definitely not that much. I mean, here mainly people are younger, generally younger. Mm-hmm. You you don't really see that kind of generation thing. That being said, I mean. I mean, I do have a friend. He's like 80 years old. Like he's super mm-hmm. old and he experienced a cultural revolution. He comes from a completely different background. And he often gets into the, this, this, these fights with like younger, younger Chinese immigrants and students because they have just some really different background stories. So you see a little bit of that, I guess, but that's really rare. You really don't see that a lot here. Mm-hmm. So I know for me personally, I would say the last few years has, has probably been the most difficult. I wouldn't say I experienced the most racism because obviously they're, you know, with entering the legal profession and, and things that, you know, we've done that I would say code switch, allow us to code switch and, and, and integrate with those communities. But in terms of speaking about politics or about, you know, issues that are affecting our community, I've had to watch what I say probably more than I ever have because of what's going on right now between, uh, you know, China and Canada, um, all of the, the recent news and, and you know, Canadian, <laughs> Canadians arrested abroad there, uh, Meng Wanzhou here. How, 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 how has that affected you uh, personally? Like, do, do, you, do you sense that tension when you you know, in the community when you, when you talk, when you're asked or when you talk about China? Mm, Yeah. So I definitely do. I blocked probably over 20 people on WeChat because they're just crazy. I can't bear seeing that. I don't know if you are familiar with like WeChat, you know, a lot of articles are censored and the only thing you can see you're allowed to read or really just you know propaganda they're just one-sided I wouldn't even call it journalism and I have a lot of people well-educated friends on there and they read that and they are in Canada so I kind of I feel the heat from them and just they've been reading these stories fabricated stories sometimes um, on WeChat about what's been going on and they call, it's like What's the closest comparison? It's like having, I mean, if you live in the States and you're a liberal and then you have a lot of friends who are Trump supporters, um, it breaks families, <laughs> breaks up families, it, 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 you know, it destroys friendship. It's kind of a little bit like that with what's been going on between China and Canada. And it's so complicated, so complicated. I can't even, I don't think I have, you know, even if we had an hour, I don't think we can like properly address it, but it's definitely a lot of tension there and a lot of misinformation um, there. And one thing that bothers me constantly is that, excuse me, is that Canadians and my Chinese friends, they always mix CCP and the people. They always think they're the same. So the Canadians would think, if you are saying something that's bad about the party, you're being racist, potentially, you know, thinking that, you know, that's the party is like, we voted for the party. I'm like 28 years old, I've never voted 
for anybody in China. I didn't have like that opportunity. And then I have a lot of patriotic Chinese friends who believe that the party is the country. So that's a little bit complicated, but but in you know in short, like it's it's been a lot of tension going on around. I completely feel you, and I and I think that one of the things that is misunderstood, and again, looking at China as a monolith, is probably the biggest mistake you can you can do. Uh, you know, the politically, there might be some forces that want it to appear as a monolith, either from the side of criticizing it or the side from you know, of course, the CCP side, but. Um, within China, like you'll be in taxis having conversations with taxi drivers, you'll be in dinner tables, oh. and, and it's the kind of stuff we talk about. I mean, it would surprise a lot of people here who, and and, and maybe disappoint them who want to paint this like we're all spies narrative, of, <laughs> right? But I mean, that's the it, you're either with us or against us narrative. Unfortunately, has sort of increased in in the last little bit, and and I think a lot of us have much more complicated stories to tell and need to tell and ultimately the people itself that need to tell it yeah i think that's you know that's really the problem it's just a lot of the stories are told by people who don't really understand us you see like a lot of reporting on china like international you know uh, china like correspondents in china and and they don't really they they have like they could be really great journalists and they are but still i feel like we need more people who understand um, the culture who understand the country to like tell the story to sort of like battle that misinformation. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm really excited. Like I, I'm curious. I want to know. Like you, you mentioned that um, you were in Chongqing for a little bit. Yeah. So what did you miss? What do you miss the most? Ooh, good question. And I love how this podcast is turning into BB. <laughs> I love it. We're That's back we to our usual podcast. MO of having food at the um, end, aren't we? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I miss my, I guess it would be grandma-in-law, because it's my my spouse's uh, grandma's home cooking uh, in Kaishen. Like, just mm. just the home cooking and, and everything grown, like, you know, organically and in the in the yard that kind of, you know, chickens from the back uh, you know that kind of food is, is definitely what I miss mm-hmm. I miss Xiaomian I'm a huge noodle person uh, I think like you'll catch me sitting on a stool eating Xiaomian like every morning that's you my like thing I, spicy I, yeah oh extra spicy like the, yeah. the, I can eat I can go to the max and I'll you know I'll eat <laughs> after afterwards but no that's the one thing and I think Philippi- I, I mean LJ you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna probably connect with me on this like we need better savory breakfasts in Canada generally speaking yeah I mean the most it, you we can know, get is a you know the bacon and eggs right like eggs that, and bacon and bread and you know maybe you know some what salad. you know what Canada is improving in that department I was just listening to the radio the other day and um you know on my way back home I I overheard uh, an ad on the CBC on Radio 1 and they were advertising like you know the breakfast choices in um, you know Toronto they were talking about all the ethnic uh, options that you have for breakfast uh, you know just beyond the usual bacon and eggs right but but you're you're right you know it's a, it's a work in progress it's happening I will have my topsy log you probably had it before and just for a benefit Lou it's basically like strips of beef very very oh, okay. salty in fact, um, and it's cured in, in, you know, in your fridge for like days and in garlic, salt and pepper and uh, lots of soy sauce. <laughs> Not good for the health, really, but very good for the soul. Yeah. 
So that's so funny. The solution, I think, and I know (laughs) municipal health inspectors all over the world will entirely disagree with me. So I mean, not all over the world, but in in Canada, is you got to remove the door and the window. You got to push out the carts a little bit to the streets. And you got to stop thinking our food's going to cause you instant diarrhea because that's on you because you haven't eaten enough different foods. Hey, hey, you know, I'll have you know that in Singapore, they have their foods out in the open. Yeah, but there's a long history. I mean, Chinatowns, they used to police Chinese businesses like, uh, you know, cook meat stores with their rules saying that meat had to be cooked a certain temperature and it would just Mm -hmm. destroy businesses. So I think we should should explore doing, like, removing that because if, I mean, if you can get bowls for like a dollar each in the morning, you can solve a lot of food crisis problems, right? Because people can eat like <laughs> cheap food and kill themselves, right? I used to survive on a dollar fifty in Singapore for my breakfast. Oh, you, Coffee, Singapore's eggs, and yeah. <laughs> what do you miss from Songqing, Lu? Like, what is your? Actually, you you kind of had my answer. Like, I'm a big noodle person. I can eat noodles like all day all week and i like it not spicy because i'm from shandong yeah we Mm. also like starchy food and stuff but the only difference is like we don't like it spicy we like it salty Mm -hmm. so xiaomian is actually my favorite but i i like it without the spice without like you know the chili and are you getting it plain or are you getting it with fei tang or are you getting with like what are you getting it with what's your oh yeah yeah it just ching tang so it's just like oh you like the clean Uh noodles i like it clean I, I like nice. like the noodle itself yeah i like that yeah. how did you survive like meals with like colleagues then going from like the different tastes but i'm sure you have to have some really bad one. <laughs> like can i have my side dish on the side or my water to, like, into it or i had one dish for a whole month when i first went there wow. um because everything else was spicy but after a year um, i became like you know i have to eat like chili with my like yeah. food that's um, awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. I'm like Will, change. I like I'm, I'm I'm at the max level when it comes to spicy too. So yeah. Yeah. I, I was gonna say actually, if you're a big noodle person as well, I was gonna recommend it, but apparently I can't now because you're not into spicy stuff. But if you do dare <laughs> venture that way, try. I mean, this is my Southeast Asian roots betraying me. Mm. Indomie, <laughs> those instant Indomie. noodles that you easily <laughs> find in Asian supermarkets or even small stores. Indomie is the bomb. Classic, yeah. Indomie, yeah, that's classic. And it's not that spicy. I mean, it's not like your Korean no, it's spicy noodles. It's like. not. No, you're, you're right. <laughs> I, I love how this is devolved into like food conversation because clearly I it'll be there. You're at like 10 p.m. You're gonna have like ish house soon, probably. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. Great. Yeah. No, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm grateful that we have someone who is able to speak their truth on this podcast. And I think that that is something, I mean, regardless of where your family's histories lie and, you know, your own opinions on the the conflicts between the countries or on the Chinese, you know, immigration, Chinese immigrant story generally, I think it's more important that we are able to share and dialogue our, our different journeys and pathways to our various forms of enlightenment because holding and bottling the stories in us uh, can cause a lot of harm. And I think that's something that um, unfortunately community has experienced. Yeah. Mm. Well, this has been an incredible episode. Unfortunately, we don't have a game for you, but next we're definitely going to get you back on, on for a game night or maybe like a virtual hotspot or something. We'll need to do something for sure. Um, (laughs) 
we're thinking actually about doing like an episode that's like a virtual hot pot and of course if you ever want any of us on any either of us on your podcast we're, we're happy happy to reciprocate at any time i should take you up on that yeah. yeah awesome awesome okay all right thank you for a great well, thank episode you so much thank you I'll, I'll, i enjoyed chatting with you okay. thank you connecting nice to meet you thank you all right, that was quite an interesting conversation. Uh, I, I like the fact that, uh, you know, it, it talked about like, you know, diversity in terms of like food choices and uh, options, uh, how there's not much in certain parts of Canada, how there's a lot in certain parts of Canada. But at the same time, it's also about the diversity in views and the diversity of what you'll find in China, for example, because you're right, it's so easy to slip into that monolithic view of um, you know, that the there is only one China, for example, that everything in China is the same, everyone's still wearing the Mao era pre-cultural revolution uniforms. That's no longer true. And, you know, it might be to the advantage of uh, whichever side you're at that uh, we paint China in that way. And I really, really like the fact that she, uh, Lou has in her Twitter profile that, you know, people of China not equal the CCP because that's absolutely true. It's so easy to fall into that trap. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, you know, just being able to see a young, incredible, uh, you know, Chinese journalist, podcaster speak her truth mm -hmm. is so important. Like we've been having to adjust what we say to the palette of those who want to paint us a certain way for for far too long mm -hmm. and i think it's great that just seeing a different perspective on our show seeing a, a perspective that might change a few opinions about you know even a chinese person in the maritimes or you know that that we can't speak our truth we can it just takes a little belief and a little space and a little healing on our parts to do so. And I think yet, you know, we can still, even if we disagree with each other, be at the same table and talk about really complicated issues and not have to turn it into a polarized fight necessarily. So I'm, I'm grateful for this conversation with you, LJ. Thank you for being part of it. I know I felt the same way when I joined your, your, your talk on the Philippines uh, with Jonah. <laughs> Jonah. And I feel like it's very, you know, another similar one where we're just really exploring each other's cultures. So getting to know each other better. And that's great. And, and it's been a wonderful Absolutely. time. Absolutely. No, I, I, I had a lot for today. <laughs> I gotta hug my baby soon because my baby right. and my mother is crying. Uh, maybe yeah so but thank you so much uh, thank you so much for listening to our podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode we're going to be back next week we're going to keep putting out fresh content and uh we hope that we can you know bring some more conversations that you're not used to in your in your day-to-day -day life so thank you thanks for listening guys have a good one